0: Grab that Black Pew Bible back out, or the one you brought with you, to the book of Genesis again. Working, uh, like last week, we started the new mini-series called Missio Dei, or Missio Dei. I hear some people uh, pronounce the as day-y. Uh People ask, "What does that mean again this morning?" Well, the, it's on the front page of your bulletin if you want to see how that's spelled, Missio Dei. And uh, what does that mean? Well, if you look at Missio, that's going to look a lot like if you add an end to it. What's it spell? Mission. All right. So it's the it's Latin for mission. And then day. Remember at Christmas time we sing that really long Gloria, in excelsis. Deo, what is that? That's glory to God in the highest. That Deo is God or Dei. I, mean, I suppose glory to would be Deo and, and of God is Dei. So this is the mission of God, Missio Dei. Is that, how is that for a little Latin lesson for you? like that? Missio Dei. So we're, we're doing a little mini-series on the mission of God. And so we're, we're looking uh, in Genesis this morning chapter 12, I'm going to delete all that out because I sang and I don't want that to go on the record so, but we'll, we'll start in Genesis chapter 12 and we'll read verses 1 through 3 and we're going to kind of launch from there so I advise you to turn Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 Now the Lord said to Abram Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Grass withers, flower fades, word of our God stands forever. So last week we started this new series called Missio Dei and the the, the, the subtitled His Purpose and Plan and Our Place in It, the Mission of God, Missio Dei, the Mission of God, His Purpose, His Plan, and Our Place in It. We covered a lot of ground on the purpose of God from creation to Adam and Eve, what God's doing there, and then down into into Noah and the Tower of Babel, and then leading up to to Abraham here in the Book of Genesis, and we're asking. I mean, I want this, this is just kind of a little family series. This is, I'm hoping to be kind of uh, as personal as we can kind of get for, for this faith family. Asking questions like this. This is the questions that I want to flow out of this series. What does God want in Mount Air? The mission of God, His purpose, His plan, our place in it. Asking the question, what does God want in Mount Air? And specifically, What does God want at First Christian Church? What does God want to do here? And we spend a lot of time just talking about asking the question, do you think God has done at First Christian Church in Mount Air? A lot of people live with the mindset or we kind of get lulled to sleep almost with, well, God has done a great thing here. We talked about 1884 when the, the the individuals gathered together to form this church to make uh, a church built for basic Christianity. And in 1914, they, they built the first building on this location. The cornerstone is still out there on the, on the bell tower. And then we all know what happened with that church. And we got this one built here in 1981. And so we, God has been doing great things here. But sometimes we can live with the mindset of all these great things have been done. And now we're just writing it out until either Jesus returns or we go home to glory. Is that that your position? Is that the way we kind of are going through the motions? Is God done working at First Christian Church? What does God want in Mount Air? What does God want here? But then even more specifically, what is your place then within what God is doing in Mount Air, in this church, and in you in this place? We're going to keep asking those type of questions. Is God done here? And you may have my permission, I don't, won't say this often, to tune me out for a few minutes if you want to and just think about, how do I feel about that? What is my stance? What do I think God is doing here? What is, do I, am I living, do I come on a Sunday morning with an expectation that God is on the move in Mount Air, that something is happening that God is still working, God is still on the move, God is still accomplishing His mission, and we want to be a church, not just writing it out comfortably until we can go home to glory or this all all gets ended, but on, on a mission with God and what He is doing in the world. So contemplate that. Where do you think you are in that? Where do you think First Christian Church is in that? What does God want to do? What is this church's place? and what God wants to do, and specifically, what is your role? What is your role in what God wants for this church in this community at this moment? And I said the phrase last week, and I don't care if you're nine or if you're 90, or maybe even a little over 90. If you're nine or, okay, so I'll say, I'll go 190, all right? I'll go nine to 109, how about that? We can make sure we get everybody included here. If you're here, and you are, Right? You you haven't fallen asleep yet. If you're here and you are, there's a reason for it. God is still on the move. And if he didn't have something for you to be doing, you wouldn't be here anymore. So no one gets to kind of opt out of this and say, well, I've done my work. I've done my part. If you're still here, God is on the move. God is doing something. And yes, you have a place in it. What I said last week is that if we want to know what God wants to do in First Christian Church, in us right now, we'll be most helped by solidifying our understanding of what is it that God has been doing all along. If we want to learn what we should be doing, we want to learn what God is doing in First Christian Church, we need to solidify our understanding, what has God been about all along? The argument is that God has not changed His purpose God has not changed his plan throughout all of history. He's been accomplishing one goal. And that goal is the same goal that is going on today. His plan, his purpose, all we're trying to discover is our place in his plan. So we have to first understand what is his plan. I don't think, I'll make a personal confession here. I'll lay it on the line. I'll be real honest with you. I don't think God has done at First Christian Church in Mount Iowa. I wouldn't be here if I didn't think so. And I say that, on, I wouldn't be here if I thought God was done. I would have told Angie and, then the, and the pastoral committee when they came, I would have said, not worth my time. And I didn't. And I don't, I don't want to get too autobiographical because I, I hate that about when pastors just talk about their own, their own lives, their own story. But I was thinking about this morning, I, we're going on vacation here this afternoon. We're, as soon as church gets done, I get in with the elder meeting. We're loading up in our, our car and we're, we're taking off. And and we didn't leave this morning. But there's nowhere in my contract that says I can't miss a Sunday. Is there? I don't think so. I, 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 I better check. Huh? What? How do you think you have a contract? Oh, I don't think contract. <laughs> I just keep showing up until they tell me to leave. But it's understandable for a pastor to be gone. I mean, it's, you know, to, to take off on some Sundays, you know. And I was, I was thinking, and this is not, I don't say this to like some pat on the back or whatever, but it's, it's, it's been since that that last surgery of Darla's. You no, know, I mean we we kept we were able to make it through all of the reversal surgery. So it was September of 2016 is the last time I missed a Sunday morning here. By the grace of God and Lord willing, I don't have plans. If I keep that sickness, obviously, is what things that happen, and I get that. But but why? I mean, and there's a sense in which I think, well, Darren, you get paid to be here. But I could take off. I could take off and no one would think anything about it. I'm here because I think God is doing something here and I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of what God is doing here. And so I say that autobiographical stuff not to try to impress anybody, but to just try to say, look, there's, I think something's happening here. I think God is still on the move and I think he wants to do it in this church through us. And I want to say, look, I'm on board. Let's get on board. Let's see. Let's think hard. What does God want to do? What is his mission? And let's get on board. I want to be around and I want to call. And I want this to be a church that has that same conviction. God is not done. And if you are here, it is because God is not done with you and what he's not done doing in Mount Air and in this church. So, But back to what is it that he wants? We're going to understand that more clearly if we understand what it is God has been doing all throughout the history of the world. So last week, we looked at the first chapters, 11 chapters of Genesis, right? From creation to leading up to Abraham. This morning, we're gonna handle the rest of the Old Testament, 38.8 books. You're like, Darren, we don't have time for that. I know we don't. We're gonna go way more fast than we should. Way faster, more, way faster than we should. Seriously, though, what, what God has been doing is, what we talked about last week, he, he, in creating Adam and Eve, He, he makes image bearers. They, they, they reflect His glory. And what does He tell them to do? Go and multiply. And so our, our big idea kind of from last week was that God is making little glory reflectors, image bearers, people who knew Him and enjoyed Him. And by, by knowing Him and enjoying Him, because, they, because He's a God who, when you know Him, you enjoy Him, it increases His glory. And they were to go and spread, they were to be joy and glory multipliers. To go and fill the earth with people who enjoy God and glorify Him. That's what God is working on, is creating, multiplying joy and glory Multipliers, multiplying upon multiplying upon multiplying. And we see that Adam and Eve, their first commission goes out. Then Noah, we see again, be fruitful and multiply. And God is creating, securing for himself a people who are caught up in their joy in him which increases his own glory. That is the mission that God is upon. So then we get to Genesis 12. We read this morning, and here Abraham is called specifically to be a blessing to all the nations. Through Abraham, all in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's a blessing coming on to to all, to all the nations, all kinds of people is coming through Abraham so that As God is blessing all these different kinds of people, they are enjoying him because they're being blessed by him, which increases his glory. Through Abraham, this spreading of joy and glory multipliers is is just continuing on. We go to Genesis chapter 17. If you have your Bible out, we won't look at every book, I promise. But Genesis chapter 18, verses 17 and 19, there's this uh, narrative between... The, the angels and Abraham at, at Sodom and Gomorrah. This is stuck in that whole narrative of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But Genesis 18, verses, starting in verse 17, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that, speaking straight to you, disclose what's gonna happen to Sodom. Seeing, verse 18, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. We see there God is calling Abraham to be this, it's tucked into this narrative, but we read that God is going to bless all the nations through him, that there'll be a people of righteousness and justice, which will glorify God. So they're glorifying God and they're blessed. There's an enjoyment of God and who he is and a glorifying of God by being people of righteousness and justice. From there, we jump to Abraham's descendants, right? God is They talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is often the way it's refrained. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Abraham strikes out on his own, tries to, uh, he and Sarah aren't getting pregnant, and so he, they take Hagar and they have Ishmael. But God says, no, it isn't through Ishmael. I'm choosing Isaac. We, we start seeing this singling out of an individual through whom the blessing is going to come. It's Abraham. Through this one person, the blessing is going to come. Well, then it goes to Isaac. Through Isaac, this blessing is going to come. We look at Genesis chapter 22, verse 17. Speaking to Isaac, Lord called, speaking to Abraham about Isaac, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. That's tied up in the narrative of Abraham offering up Isaac as a sacrifice. But we see what's going on. This individual is coming through whom the blessing is going to spread out to all nations. Abraham, Isaac. And we see the twins are born from Isaac, Esau and Jacob, right? Red hairy Esau and Jacob the trickster. And and what happens? God passes over Esau and he he chooses, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. He chooses this one individual through whom the blessing is going to be passed down. Genesis 26, uh, verses 3 through 5. You can see this recorded for us. uh, Speaking to, promise to Isaac. Sojourn in this land, then I will be with you "'and will bless you, for to you and to your offspring "'I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath "'that I swore to Abraham your father.' I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and I will give to your offspring all these lands and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my law. We see this going down then into Jacob who becomes, he becomes later, he changes his name to Israel. God changes his name to Israel. But all these individuals, God is working and what's he doing? Out of, these, out of these people that he's creating, this individual, he is selecting for himself to, uh, people who will multiply. They will, they, will, they will go out and the blessing of God is going to come through them and then spread out to the earth. Blessings through them to the spread of the earth. After Jacob, we begin to see certain other individuals come forward. We see Joseph at the end of the book of Genesis. We're not going to look at that. We have, but we have Joseph there. We have Moses in the Exodus, this individual who saves, uh, saves Israel out of Egypt. He's a deliverer, a forerunner of Christ. He, he brings deliverance to God's people. And, and why does God do this? Well, He does it for their joy in Him. That as they're delivered out of Egypt, they're blessed with deliverance. So they have joy and God is glorified because look at the deliverance that He's accomplished. And so He's creating a people for Himself who will enjoy Him and glorify Him and then go and spread throughout the nations, increasing those who would enjoy Him and glorify Him. And it spreads out then. We get into the promised land. Joshua takes them over into the promised land, right? And they don't do so well in the promised land. Time of the judges comes along. We have an interesting story like from the, God, from the book of Ruth where this person who's a Moabite, who's an outsider to God's chosen people is then brought in through faith in Yahweh. She's, she's brought in. That The blessing of God is going out and we see this continued move for there to be a multiplication of those who enjoy God, whose joy is in God, and as they are glorifying Him, people begin to then ask for a king. They get, God gives it to them. We see this great work with David. There's the promise that comes in First Chronicles chapter 17 of a, a, a descendant who will sit on the throne. But the kings still fall short. On and on, God is working through these individuals, and what is He doing? He's securing for Himself a people who will glorify Him and enjoy Him. And in their enjoyment of Him will increase in their glorifying of Him. And then their enjoyment of Him, their obedience to Him, their, their growth in godliness will increase in His glory. And both of these things get elevated. That is what God is doing. We get to the prophets, same thing. It, it all starts going bad when, when, the, when these individuals, they all start falling short. The kings, the judges fall short. The kings fall short. The prophets, they, they go and proclaim a, a message of repentance, but still they fall short. And then 400 years of silence, and you think the plan has been abandoned. But all of those individuals then are pointing to the one man, the one individual through whom God, we're all pointing, all these other individuals are pointing towards this one individual, Jesus Christ, through the descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of David. This descendant, this this lineage coming down is the one true man through whom all nations of the earth will be blessed from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, all reconciled through this one man, Jesus Christ. And so that's as much as deep as we're going to get in this moment in the Old Testament. We go to the book of Ephesians where we see this just, cl- just spoken out clearly by Paul. This is, this is a letter to the church at Ephesus, chapter 2 in the book of Ephesians, page 1160 in your pew Bible if you've got it. But look at what God then is doing through this individual. What's God's mission? To secure a people for himself who will enjoy him and glorify him. How is he going to do this? through the one individual, Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. So we were the the cast off ones, the Gentiles. We're separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope. And without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both, the the Jew and the Gentile, who has made us both one, broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both. Didn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, you're both. Both camps were unreconciled; were at hostility with God. He might reconcile us both. Verse sixteen: Reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What's God doing in that passage? What's he talking, what's he done? What's God doing? Through the one man, Jesus Christ, he is securing for himself one people, a people who will enjoy him because they've been reconciled. This dividing wall of hostility that has us under God's wrath and away from Him has been torn down and we have now been reconciled. And so God is securing for Himself one people who enjoy Him and in their enjoying of Him and what He has done, they're glorifying Him because who has done this? He has, we haven't. We didn't break down the the barrier. We didn't reconcile ourselves. He reconciled us. God is still at the work of securing for himself a people who enjoy him and glorify him. I don't want to get too far ahead because next week we're going to look at then how God begins to move in the church after the, the crucifixion, resurrection, ascension of Christ, how this then spreads out in the book of Acts. Next week we're going to get into that, but I hope you see this morning That this idea of the spread of the knowledge of God for the joy of those who would accept and believe and receive the gospel and the glorification of God as they enjoy Him for what He has done is the mission of God from way back when Adam and Eve started it all off to at least right here with the the church at Ephesus, and we're going to argue, is still the purpose today to secure for himself a people who enjoy him and who glorify him. So now, do, do you see how God is working for the joy of his people? Do you see how that glorifies him? I, I I'm Doing as good as I can. <laughs> do you see how the spread of the enjoyment of him is for the good of those who come to know him in a saving way and how it glorifies him? So then here we are we'll look more specifically at how the church does it as we go on. But if joy in God and the glorifying of God is the mission of God, how are you doing? How are we doing? God is after your joy in Him. It's one of the ways that His glory is spread. We don't make people convert by force. We don't hold them down and make them confess some certain thing. We're, we're, we're a religion of, of faith. You, you, repenting of your sin that displeased God and earns the wrath of God and then trusting in Christ. That's the work that, that Christ's work to bring you to reconciliation. That's the center of the gospel. Repentance and trust in Christ. We don't force that upon people. It's that we share the message of joy and let God do the work. Of giving them a new heart that sees it, believes it, and rejoices in it. I mean, you talk about what you enjoy, don't you? I mean, that's what we do. I mean, as the mailman walking around town, I endure a lot of conversations of people that they have something they really enjoy and want to tell me about, and I'm not necessarily so excited about it, but they are, and they want to tell me about it because what do we all do? The things that we enjoy, that's what we talk about. That is what we talk about. Do you see how increasing your joy in God increases His glory? Because as you go out and you have this joy in God, you, the, God is making for Himself joy and glory multipliers. As you increase your joy in Him, as you go out and you meet from 9 to 109, you talk to all sorts of people that I don't talk to. And God is accomplishing his purposes by making us those individuals who enjoy him and glorify him by going out from this place and having conversations and speaking about the things that we enjoy. And that joy is the joy that is found in Jesus. We have to ask, how is your joy in God doing? Is it growing? And if your joy in God is not growing, why not care enough to ask that question? If your joy in Jesus is not increasing, let's talk. Let's, I mean, honestly, that is God's mission, is increasing your joy in Him. He's about making joy and glory multipliers. How are you engaging with the things of God to see that your joy in Him will grow? But secondly, when was the last time your joy in God and what He has done through Christ has spilled over into someone else's life? I'm not talking about success at converting all of your neighbors or anything like that. We'll leave the success up to God. But when is the last time that joy of what Jesus has done has spilled out into a conversation outside of these four walls? Increasing, you talk about what what you enjoy. How can we be on mission if we are lukewarm over our joy in Jesus? If you're here and you want to increase your joy in Jesus, you're on the right track. I, I believe in the local church. You're on the right track. I say that for many reasons, but specifically now I say it because we're getting ready for communion. I, I, God is mission, on a mission for your joy. I'm on a mission for your joy in God and for his glory. But communion is one of those tracks where we refresh our joy in who Jesus is, who God is, and what he has done for us. Communion is a meal of joy. We come as broken sinners. We come as those who have transgressed God. We do not deserve his peace. We deserve his wrath. We do not deserve his, his uh, kind face to be turned towards us. We deserve his anger and his judgment. And what has he done? He has sent Jesus Christ, right? Can we, can we rejoice in the gospel? He has sent a son to take upon himself the wrath that we deserve so that we can show up confessing our sins and doing nothing but looking to Christ and receive that forgiveness. Every single one of us in this room apart from the grace and mercy of God are under his wrath because of our sin, our own sin, but we are not without hope because we aren't on our own. God has done something We need something from outside of ourselves to fix the problem within ourselves. Everyone coming to him, confessing their sinfulness and looking to Christ will be made right, forgiven of their sins, given peace, reconciled to him, adopted into his family. This truly is something worth having joy over. That is something worth having joy over. God's family will not fail to reach their destination, eternal life with him in the fullness of his joy forever. If you're struggling with joy in him this morning, pray, God, give me eyes to see what you have really done. Give me eyes to see the truth of this gospel meal in communion this morning, that our joy in him would be increased. Let's pray. Father, I am provoked, burdened. May we be a church on mission with your mission, which is increasing joy and glory multipliers, God. Father, I pray for every hurting heart, struggling heart, lukewarm heart, apathetic heart, God, because I'm praying for one of my own my own heart, God. Help us this morning, God, that we would see clearly the gospel message, the joy that is found in Jesus. Refresh that joy in us in this place this morning. Right now, God, speak to every heart. Draw them near to you, increasing our joy in you that we might get on mission with you going from this place and being joy and glory multipliers. Have your way, God, in our hearts, we pray, in Christ's name, amen.